Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I'm happy to be with you this week to talk about a topic that we haven't chatted about in a while, and that is, where do sellers come from? So throughout the economic cycle, whether it's growth or maturity or recession or recovery, there are times when the number of sellers in the marketplace shrinks and there's not as much activity, but it never pulls all the way back to zero. So throughout the entire economic cycle, there are sellers. Well, why? Who are these people? Why do they want to sell? We're going to talk about that this week. And thanks for joining me. If you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And as I teased a little bit over the last couple of weeks, we do have some exciting updates coming. Uh, feel free to go and access the Learning Center, the Multifamily Real Estate Channel, our webinar series, as well as the event section, which right now doesn't have a lot of activity, but it's going to have some soon. Uh, and then there'll actually be some exciting stuff we're going to be doing with uh, our educational content later this year, uh, hopefully to launch uh, before the beginning of 2023. All right. So with that, let's get to the topic at hand. Where do sellers come from? Well, I made some notes here. One, two, three, four, five. So I've got the five answers to that question. I'm sure there's many, many more. But there's five that we think make some sense, and that's what we'll talk about. Uh, these aren't necessarily in a sequence, although they're the way they came out of my head when I was making the notes for this week. So maybe there is some sequencing to it. The first is planned sellers. So there are sellers, owners, investors, Generally, these probably tend to be more institutional-like organizations, although not always the case. We probably fit into this category, Mara Poling, in many instances. And that is, you have a plan. When you buy an asset, for example, if we were to purchase a property, we just closed on one a couple of weeks ago, we expect over the next 24 to 30 months to make a range of improvements and move rents and then go through about a 12-month stabilization phase, and then take a look at what our options are. And if we have an opportunity to realize a meaningful return, and then using a 1031, get those dollars into a new asset, or possibly refinance and get some lazy equity out and get some additional return that way, then we may very well do so. A lot of organizations have a plan like that. Some very rigid. This asset was bought on this date. We're going to sell it in the third quarter of 2025. It's just scheduled. Almost regardless of what's going on in the third quarter of 2025. So there are investors who have a plan and generally stick to that plan. Again, regardless of what's going on. Next, we'll talk about those that have a loan that's expiring. 
Now, you all know if you've listened for any length of time that we're fans of having lots of options. And the way you structure debt can either create lots of opportunity for you or it can put you on a path to have to do something at a pretty specific date. If you have five-year debt, well, in five years, you've got to do something. Either refinance and put new debt on, which is a completely appropriate answer and nothing wrong with that, or sell and move on to something else. But it absolutely gives you that deadline. Not much you can do in terms of selling as an assumption. And if the timing is such that selling or refinancing in year five is challenging, well, you can't hang on to year six or year seven because you've only got a five-year loan. Now, a longer-term loan gives you more options. You still have a deadline though, right? So if you have 10-year debt or seven-year debt or 12-year debt, you're still going to get to a point if you haven't refinanced or haven't sold where the loan's getting ready to expire and it's decision time. Am I going to keep the property? which means keep it for some period of time and go through the process of putting new debt on it, or am I going to sell it? That's one of the places that we find sellers is we inquire as to what's the status of the loans and folks that have debt that's coming due in the next six to 12 to 18 months are generally open to conversations about a sale. Now, those could be off market. They could be on market, right? Somebody could be going to market to do that. The one we just talked about previously, the planned folks, generally those are people that are going to market. They've got a plan and they're going to go forward and do that. Uh, you can cut them off at the pass if you talk to them in advance of them going to market and maybe uh, make a preemptive offer and buy the property before it goes on market. If there's a loan expiration, those could certainly be off market. And we like off market. We like buying stuff on market too. We've made money in every one of those instances. The third category is folks that have a need. And I'm talking here not about the property has a need. We'll talk about that actually in a moment, but the investors have a need. Uh, maybe some event has occurred outside of their investment life, and they have a need for cash. They have a need to get their hand on these hands on these funds. Um, all sorts of events happen in people's lives, which are challenging, difficult, in some instances, very tragic. Uh, and it's unfortunate that those items occur. They can create the need to liquidate an asset someone, a sudden passing of someone, a divorce, uh, a business partnership that uh, comes apart, uh, an extended illness, many, many things uh, could happen. Uh, I hesitate to say this, but I will. <laughs> um, there's an old adage uh, that says, uh, behind every great real estate investment is uh, someone's misfortune. And I hope that that's not the case. I think we've done a really good job of being good buyers and helping our sellers uh, realize a reasonable return. Uh, karma comes around uh, if you uh, if you don't do that. Um, 
And there are occasions where events happen that are tragic and that will cause someone to have to sell and potentially have to sell rather quickly. Being plugged into the network so that you can access those opportunities uh, quickly and having either cash on hand or having the ability to get that cash very quickly can create some wonderful opportunities. And we've certainly experienced those. The fourth would be properties that have a problem. So I'm not talking about the individual. That's what we just spoke about a moment ago, about the investor having an issue. We're now talking about the asset. Maybe the asset is in distress. Uh, it, is, it has been poorly managed. Uh, maybe some of the original assumptions or expectations were simply wildly inaccurate. Maybe something happened in the market and the asset was purchased in such a way that it's vulnerable to that. For example, we really like buying assets that are supported by multiple employment sectors that are not related to each other. In particular, we like healthcare. If you were to invest in a piece of property that relies on manufacturing and transportation and retail, and all of those were maybe linked to the technology industry or to automobiles or something else along those lines, then a pullback in that core industry could have an impact on manufacturing and transportation and retail and so on. And all of them would get hit at once. Every employment sector is gonna have its challenges. The idea is to have enough diversification that you can weather that storm. There are assets that people buy that aren't situated like that, and they may have a problem. You might find a sponsor, especially a newer sponsor, who bid off more than they can chew. Uh, we have run into that on occasion. Uh, and in those instances, they may simply be looking for a way to get out. And at a reasonable price, that might be something that makes sense. So... There's planned sellers. There's folks that because of their debt structure, it's time to do something. There's investors that have a personal need to sell. And there's investors that have a need to sell because the property itself has a problem. The fifth group are not sellers. These are the, yeah, I like my property. It works fine for me. I'm not interested in selling. I'm making a good return. I'm doing what I want to do with it. Maybe they're in the middle of an improvement phase. Maybe they've done the improvements and they're stabilizing. Maybe they've done all of that years ago and it's just performing well. And they're not sellers until they are sellers. These are the folks that, and I'm just going to use an example. They own a hundred unit property that the market would value at $12 million. If I reached out to them and said, I'll give you $50 million for that property, I'm going to hazard a guess that more often than not, owners of that kind of asset would say, great, I'm a seller now. <laughs> so they weren't a seller and suddenly they are a seller. All right, would they be a seller at $20 million? Again, we're saying it's maybe worth around twelve. million. Would they be a seller at 20 million? Well, my guess is probably yes. What about 15 or 14? 
or 13.5. And now you're getting to the place where it's possible that you could get someone to move who's not a seller today, but putting an offer in front of them that gets them thinking about the math, especially a property that's been held for a while. So think about this, 100 units, 120,000 a door, $12 million. If someone paid nine and a half million for that not long ago, you probably need a bigger number to be able to get them to move. What if someone paid $3 million over a decade ago, 15 years ago, and they've got six, seven, eight, nine million dollars of equity sitting in this asset that's not doing anything at all? Getting some numbers in front of them, getting the conversation started might be enough to get them to a place where they would become sellers. And that's one of the most successful places to find sellers is to find people that aren't sellers and to engage them and engage them in a professional manner such that they take a serious look at possibly selling. And then when they give us the numbers, for example, we'd make an offer and then they'd give us a rent roll and a trailing 12 set of financials. We'd look at it and come back and say, well, based on all of this, it is worth 12 or 12.3 or 12.5. And yeah, that's less than what we said before, but look at what you might be able to do with it. And we have had success with that tactic in the past. So sellers come from lots of different places. They come from uh, the segment where it's simply a known fact that they're going to be sellers. And those are many of the people that are sellers at any point in time throughout the economic cycle. Um, those that have a personal need, well, that personal need very well could come during a downturn. Properties with problems, well, that could come during a downturn as well. So those three, so three of the five I mentioned, potentially are sellers during a recession or at the very beginning of a recovery, during the down phase of, of a cycle. Um, those with loan expirations probably want to try and time it, but they might get caught, especially if they've done very short-term debt. Those that aren't sellers, they're probably the ones that are more sensitive to, well, what's the market like out there? Uh, am I going to get the best price? To which we would counter, yes, if you wait, until we're further through the cycle and in recovery, or maybe in a very strong growth phase, you will get more for your asset. And the asset you buy to replace it will cost you more. And as you all know, we're fans of the notion that a 1031 can work even more effectively for you if it's executed when cap rates are up, meaning values are down. And that's because you're selling at a discount and you're buying at a discount. And because you're buying a larger property, net, net, you're coming out ahead. And that's a great conversation to be able to have with a seller. So five places that sellers come from. Happy to answer questions if you have them about this. If you are a passive investor with a sponsor, this might be something you would look to see what their thoughts are on how they go about managing their pipeline of where they get sellers. 
If you already work with us or you're interested in working with us, this tells you a little about how we do this, and I'm happy to talk in greater detail about it. You can email me again, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And if you're building your own portfolio, uh, these may or may not make sense for you. Take a look at them and then give some thought yourself to, well, where would I find the next seller for the next property I want to buy? What are some of the things that might drive someone to be a seller that would be a good match for me? I hope you found this week's session valuable. Please join us next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Pollock.